0: the creepy
1: miles welcome back to quaid in full the podcast with all the fox to give about actor dennis quaid i'm baffled home furnishing store employee sarah debunting and i'm here as always with skeptical british journo jeb lund hello jeb hello Okay, so it's the season finale of Quaid in full. We have reached the end of the '80s. Um, This season is not going out without a fight, alas. Today, today we're talking about great balls of fire! Exclamation point. But first, we have a little bit of pod business. Jeb, would you like to share with listeners the lengths you went to to avoid listening to the Renaissance this week?
0: I didn't have to go far. Uh, Usually, (laughs) usually, uh, do you uh, ever? I'll I'll come clean. My not listening does have something to do with the fact that my preparation for this is in keeping with almost everything else I've done since I was a teen, very much last minute, and uh, so like when I'm finished with the movie, I don't have a lot of time to go and peruse it. And in this case, I wanted to be as far away from any Quaid-related property as possible. I had plenty of time in which to experience the denissance. And I thought, no, um, this is going to stay with me a little bit, kind of like COVID. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I I think uh, we both may have needed to experience a -a cloroxisance after after watching this. So, um, folks, I I hope you weren't settling in for a nice long 50 minute episode because I know we always make this joke and we predict that we'll be in and out in like 12 minutes. I I really think we can do it this time. Okay. So, uh, here's the plot summary as written by some brave soul on IMDb. The story of Jerry Lee Lewis arguably the greatest and certainly one of the wildest musicians of the 1950s his arrogance remarkable talent and unconventional lifestyle often brought him into conflict with others in the industry and even earned him the scorn and condemnation of the public in 1956 louisiana bad boy jerry lee lewis moves to memphis determined to dethrone elvis presley with his ferocious god-given talent When Jerry Lee bangs out the chorus with his feet, huge fans howl out for more. When he finishes his performance by setting his piano ablaze, they mob the stage. But when he marries his 13-year-old cousin, Myra Gale Brown, the scandal nearly destroys the killer's career. End quote. The final sequence of the film makes it out like Jerry Lee and Myra pulled it together when the kid was born, but one, they didn't. Two... Jerry Lee Lewis was married four more times. Three, said kid died at age three. And four, the version in this film of Lewis's late 50s life and times is such a for-TV bowlerization of of Myra Gale's memoir that, once it's clear we're being asked to accept Lewis's attraction to a child who I should note is ably played as exactly that by Winona Ryder, who is somehow both better than this movie deserves and part of the reason it's revolting, that this is all played as a quirkum stance of romantic fate not understood by straight-laced 50s fans. It's almost impossible to watch. And that's before Alec Baldwin shows up as Jerry Lee's (laughs) cousin, Jimmy Swaggart. Let me just take that sentence again. And that's before Alec Baldwin shows up as Jerry Lee's cousin, Jimmy Swaggert. <laughs> so I, think, I guess that's my review. I mean, I'll also note that this project had three editors, which is not a great sign. But we can get into contemporary reviews now unless you have anything to add about the plot summary. Like, basically, it's the late 50s. He's doing gangbusters. He's walking around with scads of cash. He marries his 13-year-old cousin and loses
0: everything. Well, there's the bit where you see he's turned on to music by sneaking over to the black side of town. And then he sure. goes back uh, sort of as a victory lap. But it doesn't even really seem like that much of one. But uh, other than that, no, I mean... Well, and then there's the uh, the miserly um, uh, producer who discovers him and was the guy who discovered Elvis and, and is, you know probably screwing him over on the contracts, but you don't really get a whole lot of that. It is uh, it is glib in a way that, you're right, is perfect for TV and glib in a way that I associate with like 50s movies about baseball heroes. Like this seems yeah. to have been written with... Uh, yeah. Like, uh, go, you know, go ahead and play us a homer, Jerry Lee. And uh, sure thing, kid. You know, and it, it's just like... It, 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 yeah. It's really, really simplistic even for a time that predated the release of this movie by three decades um i don't even know how it got made in 1989 and uh the subsequent decades of public evolution have made something that was already dated seem like just screamingly like violently awful
1: yeah and uh quid's performance does not help um you're so right that it really is like a you know pride of the pride of the piano yankees situation like oh god all right well let's get into some contemporary reviews which um rita kempley of the washington post i think is exactly on our wavelength Quote, when Quaid and Fields, I'm not sure who that is, producer, decided the original script was too nasty for the mainstream, director Jim McBride rewrote it from the book by Lewis's child bride and Murray Silver Jr. And what he brings to the screen is a musical screwball biopic, a tall tale of hot wax, cool daddy's O, sidebar. Daddy's O. That's that's a nice bit of business, Ms. Kempley. Thank you for that. Cool Daddy's O and burning white baby grands. It laughs loud at the overnight superstar whose hillbilly outlook was too provincial for the big time. The living legend is depicted as a mud-dumb bumpkin, a crazed Pentecostal splatterer from Flannery O'Connor's inkpot, phrasing quaid is method madness all strut and bluster with a robotic way of moving his high held head a little bit c-3po a little bit foghorn leghorn he's more jerry lewis than jerry lee it doesn't get any kinder from there in ms kempley's review but he really like stops just short of pinning his elbows behind his back and clucking like there's this country with a k overbite bulging eyes thing he's doing that's like i don't even know like what's what's the appalachian version of
0: blackface corn face i don't know but if you if you haven't seen it and uh, you remember who framed roger rabbit most of his head back woo delivery is the exact same like head position eye position and sort of yeah. boggling as when judge doom says remember me eddie yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) maybe some of this will make sense or
1: at least our response to the film will make sense when we turn as we always do to roger ebert's review quote this movie is the second collaboration between mcbride and quaid who made the great the big easy together in 1987 whatever it's easy to see from that film why it was thought that they could do justice to lewis no. McBride has a natural feel for the South, overruled, and Quaid has the ability to play a charming libidinous con man. That is true. But the script shies away from the dark side of Lewis, from the long nights of a man who has been surrounded by violence and misery and whose lifestyle has brought him near death more than once. It's a life that just doesn't fit into the cliches of a PG-13 rock and roll biopic for summer release. An accurate movie could perhaps have been made about the real Jerry Lee Lewis, but it should have been directed by the Martin Scorsese of Raging Bull and played by Robert De Niro in a foul mood with a killer hangover. End quote. There's a lot in here that I disagree with, starting as eagle-eared listeners know with the premise that the Big Easy was like this great forgotten gem. it's It sucked. Um, but I think that because it's McBride, that might explain a lot of things. That they were going for a PG-13 to try to get those, like, d- summer teen ticket sales explains a lot, too. Like... This is not a PG-13 story. This is not even an R story. I mean, things that start with R are part of that story. Uh, I just, I, I mean, at least the contemporary reviews sort of, like, sort of have a handle on why it's so horrible. But then none of them, I think we still weren't there as a culture 30 years ago. Oh, no. To just no, no, get no. straight to it. Like, that, it's a child it's rape. It's
0: really fucked up.
1: Like, does anyone want to say more or less that in their reviews? And they can't quite get there.
0: Yeah. And I don't really know what redeems it other than Winona Ryder in her performance. But of course, that just means that when you're going back and watching this movie, you're, you know, you're fronting the victim and watching this kind of like whirly gig, goofus show going on around it, which I, I think, you know, only heightens the the pityability Squeam. and the, the unpleasantness <laughs> and like the lack of accountability just every part of that process like is sort of uh unpleasantly reified by the fact that like everything else is a merry-go-round for whatever reason
1: i i mean i don't know if you recall this but i definitely recall at the time that there was like really a lot of publicity and this was going to be like this was going to kind of be quades raging bull i guess or that's not a good uh comparison i'm sure you have a better one but i feel like he was on a lot of magazine covers and this was being anticipated as a big hit and a classic in the making and then you never heard about it again thank god <laughs> but what an utterly misguided oh it is really bad it is a and you're you're absolutely right about Ryder's performance, which like she has this like um, tween cultish flailing thing really down, like the way the character runs. Even mm-hmm. I think uh, she was sixteen or seventeen when this was filmed, and also she is so teeny; she's like a foot shorter than Quaid, and mm-hmm. that. But I I think they don't understand how it's playing. Like she just makes it seem that much more. I think they would stop at the word
0: inappropriate, but like it's, it's way beyond. What's upsetting most is that they seem to have decided that the, uh, the overall tone they should go for is puppy love. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe they think that they've made him galoot enough because like he can't tell the difference between four and 40 right and maybe that is dumb enough but one of the most played for is sort of like adorable almost slapsticky scenes of that puppy love is when he's out on tour and you find out that he has been calling her 10 times per day and you get a split screen of him giving her father an excuse for why he has to call her and her giving her mother back home an excuse for why Jerry Lee Lewis is calling her 10 times a day, including at two in the morning. And that gets bundled up right in the same sequence where we get this conversation between Jerry Lee and Myra's father and somebody else on the tour. Women, I ain't never getting married. They all turn on you. First chance they get, they're flat on their back in bed with some other bastard.
1: You take JW there you don't have to fool around, he's got the perfect wife, Lois. She's a lady first and foremost, quiet and reserved, always stylishly dressed. He never has to ask for his dinner or hunt for his clean socks. You got to get them while they're young. You take them right from their mama and you raise them up there right
0: by you to keep them true. You raise them just like you would a bird dog. I want to believe that these were consciously put next to each other to sabotage that thread through the movie and try to reintroduce some of the, I don't know, the implications of what this story is in a way that's, I guess, you know, um, compliant with their, their goal of making like a PG movie. But like, you can't have your dominant tone be puppy love and then have a speech where a guy talks about, well, the only way you can get him right is when you raise him up from a pup. Because like, I mean, I don't, know how much more explicitly they could have hit the word grooming without knowing that they meant it yeah
1: and the thing is i think that there was some insight into the fact that he was let's go with the word touched which um Mm -hmm. or uh my grandmother's all like catch-all which was everything from the struggling with substance abuse to cognitive delays to schizophrenia was not
0: right. (laughs) So
1: Mm. I think they're trying. Did she sell
0: propane and propane accessories or?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, there's a, there's a sequence early in the, in the film where they're like basically meeting It's in like the first five minutes and they're both champing their gum, which is gross. So if you are sensitive to that hourly listeners, just skip ahead like a minute. But uh, there's this like I think we're being asked to draw a very strong connection between their like emotional ages but then it's played so cutely the rest of the time, except for when we have to watch their wedding night, which I don't appreciate. Mm. But uh, here is clip two. What are you doing around here? Well, me and your dad, you're putting together a band. I'm going to be the main attraction, of course. I've got a ferocious, God-given talent on me. <laughs> We're going over to Sun Records. We're going to eyeball the Sam Phillips fellow, see if he can get us a record going. Sam Phillips discovered Elvis, you know. I know. I got all Elvis records. Oh, Elvis, thanks so hot. I will note here, apropos of almost nothing, that the guy who plays Elvis, Michael St. Gerard, does almost nothing but that, except when he's playing a teacher who almost sleeps with Andrea Zuckerman in uh, Beverly Hills, 90210. AMA yeah he's he's a he's not a good actor except he really looks like Elvis and can do the voice because that's what you do when you look that much like Elvis anyway there was something there they needed to make a movie that was rated R or NC-17 and they needed to make it from Myra Gale's perspective and they didn't do either of those things and this like well it was different back then like that's not gonna fucking cut it especially since the rest of it is just like montages of his rise and rise and fall and rise and look how well Dennis Quaid learned to imitate like finger syncing Jerry Lee Lewis's piano and, and then the swaggered speeches and that you must decide whether you're on the side of the Lord or the devil. Like we, I think we know what choice he made. Can can we Mm -hmm. speed this up? It just is, it's an excruciatingly long sit when it's not, when you're not being asked to sign off on, like, an ongoing statutory rape as Galahad misunderstood. So, yeah, not my favorite of this season, and I had some that I really hated in here, so, yeah. Would you like to offer a rating of this?
0: Uh like two. I like the music. I like looking at Winona Ryder. Um, this, when it came out would have been, I think like down the middle, uh, because you at least had Winona Ryder and the music and a fairly decent impression and it's sort of entertaining, but it's, you know, like no real nutritive value, but time didn't stop when this got made and, uh, you know, it is aged really poorly and there really isn't that much you can take away from it that you can justify the 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 trip don't take the trip,
1: yeah, don't take the trip i I agree with you I'm gonna give it a two I will grade on a slight curve, but I still feel like everybody involved in changing the script to something more bubblegum is indicted like they knew what this story was they knew why it needed to be changed and it like it needed to be changed because you can't get you should be trying to sell tickets to 13 year olds about the abuse of one of their own. So yeah, I just like, I I don't think anybody's a collaborator here, but I, I just like somebody should have been like, we can't, we can't tell this story in this way. It's not, it's not okay.
0: Yeah. You know, before we get to the quaidosity, I'd like to pause and, uh, Take a quick bit of acknowledgement uh, for our sponsor. (laughs) That's right. 1989's Great Balls of Fire is brought to you by cocaine, coke, blow, cocaine, Bolivian marching powder, China white, nose, candy, banker's dust, psycho fuel, the sleigh ride. No, no, yeah, Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Never liked that one. Never liked it at all. Uh, but yeah, this one definitely felt like uh, if it was fueled by anything, um, yeah. just the the, the sheer uh, <laughs> energy, <laughs> the sheer Judge Doom <laughs> level on it was uh, tremendous. And I wanted to I wanted to pause and thank our sponsor. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, you, you got to thank someone. I'm very <laughs> interested to hear where we end up in our quaid qua quaid ratings because this is both this is like Hasselhoff quaid like it's 110 percent of something shitty (laughs) so I'm just not sure where to rate it um Here's Quaid, like literally doing a Foghorn Leghorn when he announces to the uh, Tabalaski, the tour manager, that they've got nothing to be ashamed of, but with that special Jerry Lee Lewis flair. Hell, Mister Phelps, we've got nothing to be ashamed of. Like, oh my God, <laughs> boy, I say, I say, boy. <laughs> I mean, really. And then he gets, uh, gets into the concert hall. It's not going well. It's awful quiet out there. I hope y'all aren't as dead as you sound. I'm alive. Are ya? I I mean, there's like a whole bunch of different accents in scenes that are adjacent. These scenes took place one minute apart. Mm -hmm. The actual microphone feedback whine. Come on, guys. Come on. Just. He and uh, our sponsor are absolutely trying heroically hard to make something happen, but charisma and screaming are not the same thing. I don't know Jerry Lee Lewis himself well enough to say if this is just a halloween costume version of it i'm sure dennis quaid worked hard on his preparation the blonde hair is not a success uh but i i almost don't know where to rate it because also this isn't particularly quaidy like he's supposed to be sort of dangerous and sexy and dark but the, I mean, but he's he's not. No, those quaidy roguish things aren't coming through at all. And that
0: actually might have helped the movie a little. But eh. I mean, we're told that he's charismatic to her or she tell, you know, Winona Ryder convinces us that he means something to her. But like no part of their actual interaction in the plot or what he's doing suggests it like he's he's trying to be as charismatic as possible. He's exuding as much as possible. But it's like getting like a, a deep tissue massage in the wrong place. Like the yeah. mechanics are all correct, <laughs> but you are doing harm, not hurt and not help. Yeah. And like, it's, yeah. it's anti-charming. I don't find, you know, there's, n- there's no real roguish there. And admittedly, like, even though they whitewash most of the violence, what you're left with is just this sort of like screeching idiot bully type. And then a yeah. bunch of like, what feel like montages that belong in a musical. Not like a biopic, but like a musical or a music video. Yeah,
1: and they they are shot like music videos, and I'm sure they were used as music videos. I don't remember. I don't remember watching them. I what I remember from this time on MTV was him with that blonde hair being in Bonnie Raitt's video, huh. um, which I I don't think I can stand to revisit. Like they had, I feel more chemistry than him and Winona Ryder, possibly because Bonnie Raitt is a grown-up person. <laughs> who who right. could say? Ugh. I think your deep tissue massage in the wrong place comparison is is right on. I absolutely understand why he was cast for this, but it shouldn't have even gotten to principal shooting before they realized that this was not going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying De Niro would have been a better choice, but... This is not the correct energy
0: for this. And I mean, and also we're kind of going like, well, who would have been the best captain for the Titanic? You know, like at some point, no matter how much style or whatever approach you're you're bringing, like it's going to end the same way, which is the fact that she was 13.
1: Yeah. I mean, who are we even going to cast? Like now I can't get past thinking that William Atherton should have played this role. And that's just... (laughs) oh man yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) now i've ruined shut
0: down rock and roll now i've ruined everything um would would you like me to go first with my rating no it's okay because actually thinking about it though what i know principally about william atherton at least vis-a-vis a a 13 year old would be reassuring in that that man has no dick so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, I, mine's going to be confused if it helps you. I was thinking like three. I mean, there's bits of charm that come out, but there's everything else is so counterproductive, even though it's so high energy. What I just kept thinking about was,
1: um, you know, when, uh, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know how he did that? No, I don't remember. I watched it too.
1: Um, uh, yeah, I, I also watched it and I didn't know until years later how he did it, which is basically the whole experience was on a giant very slowly turning lazy susan so that when he Mm reopened the curtains they were just looking at a completely different part Uh, there's a book uh big secrets that explains how this is done but um this is what i just kept (laughs) thinking about that it's like well we're just looking at the wrong we're looking at the wrong thing we're at the wrong angle this is all that we've just been turned slightly and it's just not going to work uh so you're going with a three I, uh, this is just one of those times where it's like, this is so flawed in its inception that I'm like, are we still even in number land? Like, can I give it a plaid? (laughs) I I guess I can't. I'm going to say two again, because anything that you cast Dennis Quaid for is so wildly off base for him to even do here. Plus, he's not doing it.
0: I'd be fine with, with movies like this, getting a, a new grade. Uh, we call it the maybe, and it's just a screenshot of maybe Fionke's um, alternative <laughs> grades from the school that she went to in the first, it's like, at, I think the screenshots are all from the pilot of Arrested Development, but like a pyramid and like maybe a camel, uh-huh. something like that. That's what I'll rate this movie. Okay. Fruit. Fruit. Rated fruit. Yeah.
1: Next time on Quaid and Full, come see the paradise. That's not a bit. That's the actual title. We don't know either. We do know that we are off until 2021, which is a paradise compared to this shittiest year. So have a safe holiday season and we'll see you for season four, the early 90s. In the meantime, drive your gas guzzler up on the lawn to check out our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Or get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Put out that flaming piano and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.